Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where once upon a time there was a host named Sarah, who was the most beautiful, charming host in all the land. One day, she met a tiny forest gnome named Emily. Uh, what? What is happening with this cold open? Sh- shut up. The gnomes in the story don't speak, Emily. Respect the fiction. <laughs> oh boy, this is this is going to be some fun energy we're bringing to the podcast. This is post-Thanksgiving some energy. Good Sunday morning post-Thanksgiving. I'm going to do some great Foley in just a second. Oh, fantastic. Is it a beer? Is it a cider? Is it a sparkling water? Who knows? Is it all of the above? It's a hard seltzer. No, it's a normal ass, like normal person seltzer. Man, I wish that was the orange cream. Acting. We had, um, Eli had his first sparkling water, Aww. which he called sparkle water. Oh, and he thought it was something so special. It's like, oh, sweetie, it's literally just carbonated water, but I'm glad you like it. We own a soda stream. Like, we have the soda stream. We still buy a 12 pack of sparkling water every week. <laughs> like, we use the soda stream a lot too for like bitters water. Like, we'll each have a seltzer a day, but uh-huh. they just. It's easier to get different flavors if you buy the 12-pack than if you buy, like, a big thing of flavoring. Fair. Mm. I I don't have a soda stream, and I probably won't ever get one, because I don't need additional kitchen gadgets, but... I I fucking love my soda stream. (laughs) I Um, do have, like, a shelf in my fridge that is dedicated to cans of sparkling water. Everything. Anyway. What are we talking about today? The history of seltzer. Um... I'll do a mini on that. Uh, no. No, I won't. Well, no. Actually, soda fountains are very interesting. That's different from seltzer, though. Let's- a seltzer, I mean, that was served at the soda fountains. Um, I'll do a mini on phosphates. Going down and getting your cocaine soda. <laughs> no, I'll do. I'll figure something out with that. You know how I love doing history of food. You do, indeed. Uh, so, in no way related to any of those things, I am following up on a promise that I made during the last uh, fairy tale theater, which was last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we are going to do a biography episode, um, which I don't do very often, because I get bored easily, but... <laughs> and Sarah takes all the exciting people. I was going to say, biography episodes are usually my thing, but uh, I'm more than happy to gift this one to you. I did like doing George Washington Carver, but uh, we're going to do... The Brothers Grimm, who were real people. And not just, like, not, like, trying to think of, like, it's not like like, Uncle John's bathroom reader. Wow. (laughs) I was going to say Mother Goose, who actually might have been a real person. (laughs) That's probably a a more apt comparison. Yeah, or, like, a bunch of different people wrote the Nancy Drew books. Oh, yeah. All series like that are ghostwriters. Yeah. So, they're real, real physical people. (laughs) To, To start off, I did watch the movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. What were your thoughts? I enjoyed it. Um, it reminded me a lot of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which I also enjoyed, even though it is a sack of trash. <laughs> it's so terrible. Uh, the brother-sister energy in that movie was um, strange in that it wasn't. Uh, I was questioning whether or not they were going to fuck the entire movie. You know, now that we're talking about this movie, I'm sure I've seen it at least twice. I don't remember a single thing that happens in that movie. Uh, they hunt some witches. That's Obviously, about all I can yeah. tell you. Yeah. 
Um, so it reminded me a lot of that movie. It also reminded me of uh, Get Ready for a Deep Cut, uh, the second DLC for The Witcher 3. <laughs> That's very specific. It's Travis's favorite game. So I've seen it multiple times. I've also played The Witcher 3, which is the best Witcher I've been told. But that DLC, Geralt um, gets transported into a different land, like a fairy land, where he basically does fairy tales. It's very Ooh. much the same vibe, except the role of Matt Damon is played by Henry Cavill. <laughs> An improvement. But, but... Big improvement. Only a little, because early, what, 2000s, Matt Damon... Pretty hot. Fair. I'll give you that one. Actually hotter than Heath Ledger in that movie with his weird, wispy beard and his glasses. It was strange. I didn't like it. Now I gotta look this up because I don't remember what either of them looked like in that movie. The real disappointing thing is uh, that while we're definitely going to use a picture of Matt Damon and Heath Ledger for the cover of the uh, Instagram. (laughs) Oh, yep. I've got it. The real men looked nothing like them. They actually both kind of look like Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Yes, that's correct. I'm seeing pictures. I am seeing both pictures from the funny enough. Like I searched the brothers Grimm and of course, like the top row of images are all from the movie. And then like midway through the second row, you start getting pictures of like the actual brothers. Grimm. You want to know something? Most of the sources on the internet, when you search brothers Grimm, come up with the fucking movie. <laughs> um, resources light on the ground. And they all kind of said the same thing because of the time period. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So, a quick run through of, of resources. Um, Wikipedia, obviously, uh, Britannica.com, Biography.com, Nat Geo, um, mm. and uh, a, a University of Pittsburgh um, site. Oh, I found those sites similar to that. It, they're always very uh, useful. They did like a, a timeline, so I didn't use them for like primary source, but it was helpful to see because it's. Pretty, not pretty easy, but when you're doing a biography of one person, everything is, you know, this one person is doing stuff. When you're doing a biography of two people, even two people who very rarely were apart, they still were doing different shit with their lives. So it gets kind of muddled. Fair. So, yes. Um, And if you're like me, you probably assumed the Grimm brothers lived in, like, the 16th century when I assumed most of these stories were taking place. Uh, no. (laughs) I was going to say, gun to my head, I could not tell you what century the Grimm's Grim Brothers lived in. I didn't find out until I watched the movie. Um, I was like, that timeline can't be right. Like, they made this more modern. And um, no, Jacob Ludwig Carl Grimm was born in 1785. Damn, America was born before that. Yeah, on January 4th, to be exact, in Hanau, Germany, uh, sort of. Now that he was sort of born, but it was sort it of- It was sort of that it area. Was sort of Germany. Uh, Germany didn't exist in 1785. No, it was a bunch of different, like, other kingdoms that eventually became Germany. Yeah. Jacob was actually born in Hanau Landegravate of Hesse Castle within the Holy Roman Empire, because the Holy Roman Empire still fucking existed in the late 1700s, <laughs> which is buck wild to me. Yeah, that sticks around a long, a lot longer than you. Yeah. So like Sarah said, at that time, that part of Europe was actually a bunch of separate states that wouldn't unite to become the pre-World War II version of Germany until around 1871. No, that's not right. Yeah, no, late- 18- no until 1871. I was going to say, late 19th century does sound right. Yeah. And it's a long, boring story that involves Napoleon, who is the topic for another episode. Just suffice it to say that the area known as Germany was relatively unorganized at the time, and that's going to come up later. Yeah. 
I'm not going to quiz you, but just keep that in mind. Like, Germany was a fucking mess. Noted. Uh, So anyways, Jacob was born in 1785 to Philip Wilhelm Grimm, a jurist, and uh, Dorothea Grimm, formerly Zimmer, who was the daughter of a Castle City councilman. So they were pretty high up, like, connected families. Right. Um, And he was the second oldest child of the Grimm's nine total children, although only six would survive. Because it was the 1700s. I was going to say, that is why you have nine. Because you're going to lose about a third. Yeah, and Jacob would become the oldest. And then just over a year later, on February 24th, 1786, Wilhelm Karl Grimm was born. Good German names. There were like eight names in Germany at the time. Yes, correct. Similar to Russia. Like, Russia's only got like four names. Germany's only got like two. Wilhelm, you were Karl, you were Jacob, I guess. Johan? Johan was a good one. Adolf? No. Okay. So things were pretty great for the family. In 1791, the family moved to the countryside town of Stenau uh, when Philip was employed there as a district magistrate, which is like a law position, like a district attorney kind of. Uh, that's the comparison I was going to make. Then, yeah. At least that's what it sounds like, kind of like the DA. So Yeah, we, he worked yeah. in law, but not enforcement. Uh, so the family were prominent members of the community. They lived in a large house surrounded by fields. The children were educated by private tutors. Uh, they received strict instruction as Lutherans, which a religion that religion would stick with the brothers throughout their lives. Because if you were German, thanks to um, Martin Luther. Very Lutheran, yes. Yes. Because uh, Germany or thereabouts was where Lutheranism uh, was born. And that's not another episode because it's boring as shit. No, I'm not interested. Later, the the children attended local schools. And then, as it usually goes, a tragedy struck and Philip, their father, died of pneumonia in 1796. Yikes. So they would have been. uh, Jacob was 11. And this caused the family to be shoved into the pit that is poverty. Because that's what happened in the 18th century. (laughs) Is if your husband dies, you have no money. Yep. You're shit out of luck. Um, So luckily, the boy's aunt on their mother's side was a lady-in-waiting for a local noblewoman, and their grandfather had some kind of political sway in Castle, because he was a uh, council person. Um, And these two were able to put the two oldest boys into a private school. After two years of Jacob and Wilhelm assuming all the responsibilities as head of the family. Right. You say, I'm sure there's some child labor involved there because, oh, like, for sure, for sure, mother can't work. So, well, that's the thing is that their aunt had a job, but their mother never did, as far as I could tell. Like, I don't know why she didn't work. I mean, I guess if the, she's got like young, young kids, I guess, yeah. But also, it was like the 18th, 19th century, so was childcare. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I well, honestly I'm- don't know enough about that. <laughs> Period, too. I mean, it sounds like all the kids were pretty close together, too. I don't know. This is a continuing theme in their lives. So after downsizing their home because of obvious financial reasons, mm-hmm. the children's aunt, Henriette, sent Jacob and Wilhelm to study at a prestigious high school, um, the Lyceum in Kessel, because they had high school. I guess... It does sound very fancy. Yeah, the German uh, schooling system is actually, as far as I can tell, very similar to the United States. Interesting. Uh, well, like kindergarten is. Oh, yeah, is like a German thing. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that literally mean a garden of children? <laughs> yes. I, we're, you're, you're helping them like grow mentally. Yeah. As far as I know, like the one of the private schools that the boys went to still exists. 
yeah, that's nuts. So yeah, they got into a, a prestigious high school in Castle, and when they were in school, their grandfather wrote to them saying that because of their current situation, they needed to apply themselves, get them big city jobs, and take care of the family, which is a lot of pressure to put <laughs> on children. On like 14-year-olds? Yeah. Um, so shortly after attending Lyceum, their father, their grandfather died, and they were again left to support themselves and their family. Um, so the two became intent on becoming the best students. Uh, since they wanted to live up to their deceased father, and I assume because their grandfather scared the ever-living crap out of them. <laughs> I say, if you don't apply yourself and get into college, your entire family will starve to death. Pretty much. Uh, so they studied more than 12 hours a day and worked just as hard at the jobs that they had taken to support their families. This is a lot for ch- children. That's very intense. Yeah. Uh, so after four years of schooling, Jacob graduated at the head of his class in 1802. Wilhelm contracted asthma and scarlet fever, which delayed his graduation by a year, although he was also head of his class. Damn. Yeah. These are some motivated children. (laughs) I get it, but also, damn. Both were given special dispensations to study law at the University of Marburg, and they needed this dispensation because their social standing at the time was not high enough to have normal admittance. Oh, damn. So, like... (laughs) They were such good students. They're like, well, we don't care that you Yeah, this whole part of the story makes me kind of mad and also thankful for public schools, but also, like, this is still a problem. Yeah. Not, as, in, not, as, not as opaque or more opaque. I don't know. It's not as explain that, but. overt. Yes. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. But in effect. Well, I mean, there's that, like, joke that someone only gets into Yale because, you know, there's a library named after their father. Like, that kind mm-hmm. of shit. Still a thing. Yeah, oh yeah. So the University of Marburg was a small 200-person university where most students were more interested in activities other than schooling. So like a state school, I guess. <laughs> Sarasota State University, the biggest party school in Germany. <laughs> Their football team is unmatched. <laughs> most of the students received monetary stipends, even though they were the richest students in the state. God, of course. And the brothers here... Just wait. The brothers were excluded from this and even from tuition aid. <laughs> because they were, you're they so were too poor, poor, we're not going to, yeah. Uh-huh. Their poverty kept them from student activities or a social life. Um, ironically, however, this status worked in their favor and they claimed that it kept them from distractions and allowed them to work harder. <laughs> you know, all those distractions that money brings. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking nerds. Like being able to feed yourself. And- yeah. And your family. So, Jacob drew the attention of Professor Friedrich Karl von Savigny. Savigny? He sounds German. Like, German and French. Um, He was the founder of the Marburg School of Law. Uh, He became a huge personal and professional influence on the brothers, and throughout their time at the university, the brothers became quite close with, um, I have to learn how to pronounce this last name, Savigny, and were able to use his personal library as they became very interested in German law, history, and folklore. (gasps) <gasps> sorry what was that last one folklore <gasps> uh, so i don't yeah. even know what the joke is here <laughs> they're gonna go on to write a bunch of folklore sarah <laughs> this is like paul mccartney being handed his first guitar <laughs> except wade weebier uh so savigny asked jason jake jason <sighs> jason born yes oh that's that works matt damon played jason born Matt Damon played Jacob Grimm. You can just go ahead and refer to them for the rest of the uh, rest of the episode as Jason Bourne in The Joker. Okay. So Savigny asked Jacob to join him in Paris as an assistant, and Jacob went with him for a year. 
And while he was gone, Wilhelm became very interested in German literature and started collecting books. So he went to go do, like, research and, and fancy shit with this professor in Germany, and Wilhelm stayed and became an even bigger nerd. <laughs> Uh, so once Jacob returned to Castle in 1806, he adopted his brother's passion and changed his focus from law to German literature. I'm sure their mother was thrilled. I mean, or they're their supporting uncle, them. Like, I don't like... think she has any room to complain. <laughs> and I say probably not their mother. Probably like, I just imagine like their uncle or their aunt or whoever is financing or helping them to finance this. <laughs> it's like, we set you up to go to this prestigious law school and now you're going to go get an English degree. <laughs> Essentially. Basically. Man, Thanksgiving at the Grimm House must have been awkward. Um, Boop. Ah, yes. Uh, So he changed his focus. Uh, Jacob continued to study literature, but had to do so in his own time because he still had to support the family, whose poverty was so extreme that food was often scarce. In a letter that he wrote to his aunt around that time, Wilhelm wrote of their circumstances, saying, We five people eat only three portions and only once a day. Yikes. Yes, in an effort to help support them, during the Napoleonic Wars, Jacob took a job with the Hessian War Commission. Again, the Napoleonic Wars are a whole thing. I'm sure Hardcore History did a 14-hour series on it. France needed to stay in its lane. <laughs> it's funny that you think that would only be only 14 hours. <laughs> this 21-day. <laughs> I did try to listen to the Hardcore History on World War II, and I'm not an uncle, so I couldn't like stay connected, but I can see where it would be very good. Mm. Also, I I feel like in school, all they taught us in history was, like, the Revolutionary War and World War II. I feel like a lot of our U.S. history was very, folk, like, war-centric. Like, those are the big, like, units I remember. Yeah. I Sounds about right. very much remember the Revolutionary War and then the Civil War. Oh, God. Anyway, teach kids stuff other than wars. Like, that's why it's boring. It's just a bunch of men, like, shooting at each other. <laughs> Who gives a shit? So anyway, meanwhile, Wilhelm continued to receive his degree in law at Marburg. So he did the thing. Good they stayed him. with law. They just became very interested in literature and um, right. Like it was kind of like a hobby. Yeah, like your uncle, who's really into World War II. Yes, it's yeah. Thankfully, my dad is more into like Bigfoot conspiracies than he is uh, <laughs> wars. I also found that like. <sighs> The dads and uncles and stuff that actually were in the military, way less into wars, like, learning about them. Yeah. Tracks. Yeah, I can't remember when my dad would have been in, but, like, my grandpa was in World War II in Korea, and, like, he didn't really talk about it. All right, so um, Jacob found full-time employment in 1808 when he was appointed court librarian to the King of Westphalia and went on to become a librarian in Castle. So he got a professional librarian job. In his hometown. Live in the dream. Who wouldn't want a, to be a professional librarian? Yeah, I mean, it sounds nice. Um, their mother also died that year, and he became even more fully responsible for his younger siblings. Now, hold on a second. When did their father die? We're going to do some math to find out how old these children are, because I think at some point they need to start taking on some of their own shit. <laughs> okay, so their father died in 1796. Okay, so the youngest one would have been... 12 at least that's fair like you don't want to send the 12 year old off to the coal mine coal mines i don't know jacob had to start supporting the family when he was 11 i'm just saying like some people aren't pulling their weight <laughs> so he arranged for and paid for his brother ludwig to study at an art school and for wilhelm's extended visit to hall 
uh, to seek treatment for heart and respiratory ailments, um, following which Wilhelm joined Jacob as another librarian in uh, Castle. Wilhelm was a sickly, sickly boy. Yeah, he sounds it. Poor kid. They first started collecting folk songs and tales for their friends, uh, poet and authors Clemens Brentano and Ludwig Achim von Arnim. That's a name. I love the name Ludwig. <laughs> so it good. is a good name. Good solid name. Let's bring Ludwig back. Yeah. They started collecting tales for these guys who collaborated on an influential collection of folk lyrics in 1805. And the brothers examined in some critical essays the essential difference between folk literature and other writing. So their friends came out with this book, and then they wrote essays on the book about how interesting folk literature was. Um, To them, folk poetry was the only true poetry, expressing the eternal joys, sorrows, hopes, and fears of humankind. Because I guess folk poetry was more organic, whereas, like, normal prose is structured. Yeah. Like, you're not trying to sit down and write a folk poem. You're just trying to... Yeah, it just, it kind of happens. It's how they relayed information and um entertained each other yeah it's like stories that get passed down versus stories that are written written you know yes yes the brothers threw themselves into researching the folklore of their region with an emphasis on recording village oral storytelling that was vanishing with the advent of new technology which at that point would have been books (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah books yeah brentano ultimately did not use the 54 tales that jacob and wilhelm sent to him uh, but in 1810, Arnhem urged them to publish their collection not- nonetheless. So Jacob and Wilhelm's work culminated in the book Kinder und Hausmarschen, Children's and Household Tales. German is a beautiful language. I love German. Um, and the first volume was published in 1812, and the second volume followed in 1815. The collection would later come to be known as Grimm's Fairy Tales, with stories that included Snow White, Hansel and Gretel, The Golden Goose, Little Red Riding Hood, and Weirdly Cinderella. All the big hits. Yeah. Why Weirdly Cinderella? We'll get to it in a second. Oh, okay. Uh, the first volume of the first edition was published in 1812, containing 86 stories, and the second volume of 70 stories followed in 1815. For the second edition, two volumes containing the text were issued in... 1819, and the appendix was removed and published separately in the third volume in 1822, totaling 170 tales. That's just quite a, a few. Lot. Yeah. The third edition came out in 1837, the fourth in 1840, a fifth in 1843, a sixth in 1850, and a seventh in 1857. <laughs> Are these like, do they just keep adding on and refining the the same collection are they like publishing additional volumes of new or not new stories but like new to print well stories were added and also subtracted from one edition to the next until the seventh held 210 stories okay Uh, some later editions were extensively illustrated first by philip grot johan and after his death in 1892 by german illustrator robert lineweber so this is like an ongoing life's work like they didn't just like publish it and then It'd be like if Stephen King updated The Shining every three years with, like, new scenes and he, like, took some shit out. I imagine it, like, yeah, it's more like a textbook. Actually, yeah. Or sort of like, or so like yeah, like, more of an academic text where it's... Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stories were part of an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation, often by women seeking to pass time during chores. Women wrote most of Grimm's fairy tales in their original forms. Just saying. 
That's a good point to make. Yeah, but as industrialization took root, local traditions changed, the stories began to die out, and it was up to scholars to preserve the tradition. Mm. So the brothers interviewed relatives and friends, collecting whatever tales they could, sometimes embellishing them, although they insisted they didn't, but they probably did. I'm also sure there's, like, I'm sure there's also some, like... You get the same stories from different, like, different variations on the same stories from different people. So you kind of have to, like, compile them. Yeah. And I have to assume that some of it was, like, edited for clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were older stories. So, like, maybe some things changed. Yeah. That kind of thing. So originally, Grimm's fairy tales weren't meant for children. The stories routinely included sex, violence, incest, copious footnotes, scholarly language. <laughs> oh, yeah. Worse yet, they didn't have illustrations. Which, God, why would you ever want to read a book without pictures? My copy of Grimm's Fairy Tales doesn't have any illustrations. I actually have um, what I've come to realize is more of an original translation and not like the kid version. Oh. Which explains why that version of Rapunzel we read was so jacked up. <laughs> Initially aimed at adults, the early editions of uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales contained very dark elements. In its original version, for example, Rapunzel gets pregnant by the prince after a fling. And in Cinderella, mm-hmm. the stepsisters cut off their toes and heels to try to fit in the slipper. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard that before. And it's terrible every time. And some truly fucked up stuff happens to Red Riding Hood. <laughs> um, so to be fair, the brothers weren't writing storybooks. They were scholars. They were doing things for learning mm-hmm. and for recording. So yeah, I would say they weren't trying to be marketable. No. This wasn't about, like, making something that people would like. It was about being true to the source material. Right. Which, if we've learned anything from, like, movie adaptations, what works in a book doesn't necessarily work as an entertaining thing. Correct. And I also imagine that, like, what works in an oral story doesn't necessarily translate directly to, like, a text. Yeah. So the first volumes were very much criticized because, although they were called children's tales, they were not regarded as suitable for children, both for the (laughs) scholarly tone and the subject matter. Fair. So many changes throughout the editions uh, occurred, such as the turning of the Wicked Mother of Snow White and Hansel and Gretel into a uh, stepmother um, in order to make them more suitable for younger readers. Uh, It's also been suggested that the brothers held motherhood in too high a regard to keep the original version, but I guess stepmothers didn't count. And again, also, it sounds like their mother just didn't do a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The... Other greatest greatest accomplishment of Wilhelm Grimm, specifically he was the artsy one while Jacob was more analytical, Mm -hmm. is that he gave the fairy tales a readable form without changing their folkloric nature. So this resulted in the book gaining wide distribution in Germany and eventually all parts of the world. It also remained a model for the collecting of folktales everywhere, and the Grimm's notes to the tales, along with their investigations, form the basis for the science of the folk narrative and even a folklore. So, to this day, their stories remain the earliest scientific collection of folktales. So, like, analytical, kind of figuring out, like, why people did what they did, because they had Mm -hmm. a bunch of footnotes and stuff where they would analyze it. Um, So, it's a very big deal, because we look at fairy tales the way we do today because of these two huge nerds. God bless them. So, the Kinder und Hausmarschen was followed by a collection of of historical and local legends of Germany, a Deutsch Sagen or German saga, which never gained wide popularity, though it continued the influence of the study of folklore. So it was more important from a scholarly standpoint than it was from an entertainment standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1826, 
The brothers then published a translation of Thomas Crofton Croker's Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland, prefacing the edition with a lengthy introduction of their own on fairy lore. Do I actually talk about Cinderella being... I think I do later, but you asked why weird that Cinderella was included. Um, Cinderella was actually written by a Frenchman. Oh, okay. So it is a French story. It is a French story and what is otherwise a very German book. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, the Grimm's gave their attention to the written documents of early literature, bringing out new editions of ancient texts, both from Germanic and other languages. Uh, Wilhelm's outstanding contribution was Die Deutsche Heldensage, or the German Heroic Tale which is a collection of themes and names from heroic legends mentioned in literature and art from the 6th to 16th century, together with essays on the art of writing a saga. I just, it's adorable that just two grown men are so into, like, fairy tales, but they created fairy tales. So, like, fairy tales weren't, like, cute. It was actually, like, a scholarly pursuit. Mm-hmm. If you if you have one takeaway from this episode, nerd, <laughs> nerds, huge nerds. So Jacob's big contribution was okay. Hold on to your butts. Uh, it was oh, something God. called Grimm's Law, which is a principle of linguistics that, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, I do not understand. It has to do with rules on how a language can change pronunciation over time. And I wish I could explain better, but I was racing an edible to finish this, se- this section of my notes. And I don't think it would make much more sense to me sober. Mm, Probably not. So Grimm's Law is a big deal, and that's what we need to take from that. Jacob was really big into linguistics, which is an area of English and stuff that I, like, it just zooms right over my head. I love the idea of linguistics, but oh boy. It's very technical. Oh god, I'm like trying to read the Wikipedia page and I can't get past the first sentence. Never mind. Yeah, my eyes started across like three sentences in. Um, If you want to look it up, it's called Grimm's Law. And if you want to write an email explaining to us in layman's terms what it means, because I looked at four different websites trying to understand it. Um, So for some some happy non-dweeby news, um, in 1825, Wilhelm married Henriette Dorothy Wilde. Same middle name as his... uh, Mom. Mom's first name. I mean, as you said, there's yeah, only six, like six names. names. Okay. Uh, she came from a storytelling family and, along with her mothers and sisters, provided tales to the brothers that they had heard from travelers who stayed at the family inn. Women wrote a lot of these stories. <laughs> um, so together they had four children. Jacob, who was born and died in Aww. 1826. Aww. Uh, Herman. Uh, he was a literary and art historian, and he lived from 1828 to 1901. Rudolph, who became a jurist, and he lived from 1830 to 1898, and Auguste, 1832 to 1919. In 1830, both brothers were overlooked for the post of chief librarian when it became available, and they both said, fuck that, and moved to Gotten in the kingdom of Hanover, where they found work at the University of Gottingen, (laughs) I think it's pronounced. I was going to say, they're literally like the biggest names in... Yeah, and they didn't get the chief librarian position. It's crazy. And they'd been there for 15 years. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, fuck them, right? Yeah. Um, so Jacob got a job as a professor and the head librarian, where Wilhelm got a job as a professor. And as a side note, I find it very cute how close they were, even working at the same school in the same jobs. Right? Like, (laughs) 
they they would have spent all their time. Like, you go to work and you hang out in the same place and then you go home and you live together. Yeah. That is sweet. I can't. There are very few people. I don't know if I can think of anyone who I would want to spend that much time around. Yeah. I mean, I even get get away from Travis sounds weird, but like Travis goes to work and I go to work and then we hang out in the evening times like there's. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, in 1830, King Ernest Augustus demanded oaths of allegiance from all civil servants, including professors, which oh, were Jesus. civil servants. The brothers refused to pledge to the king and, along with five other professors known as the Gottingen Seven, were made to leave the city. So jobless and branded as political dissidents, dissid- yeah, descendants? Dissidents. Dissidents, yep. Dissidents. Yeah, right. It's a weird word. I, I've read it and I know what it means, but like saying it out loud, very weird. <laughs> um, so they were forced to borrow money from friends as they continued to work on their writing projects and research. I guess they probably, did they not have royalties coming in from the, I guess probably, was it a bestseller? No, it was or popular. was it still just? But also, I don't think royalties were like. Fair. I think they got paid for the book and that's it. I don't know how the writing process worked in the 1800s. Fair. Um, so they moved to Berlin in 1840, where they were appointed as lecturers at the Royal Academy of Science. Uh, after the revolutions of 1848 in the German states, which was basically a series of protests calling for the unification of Germany, the brothers were elected to the civil parliament. Oh. Their political activities were short-lived, however, as their hope faded for a unified Germany. In the late 1840s, Jacob resigned his university position and tended to the publication of his work, The History of the German Language. Wow. Uh, Wilhelm continued at his university post until 1852, and after retiring from teaching, the brothers devoted themselves to writing a complete dictionary of the German language, which is a big undertaking. I, yeah. Here, list, just go ahead. Start listing all the words you can think of. In German? Yes. <laughs> Kindergarten. <laughs> Wiener schnitzel. Beer. Dachhund. Nein. <laughs> Reich? Kampf. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unrelated, but, like, um, I was trying to, me and McKenna were playing Slapjack over Thanksgiving, and she had started counting in Spanish, and the way she counts in Spanish is uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco de mayo. <laughs> Which, I don't know who taught her that, but it's very funny. <laughs> but anyway, I taught her how to actually count to ten in Spanish, and then I taught her how to count to ten in French, which I do still remember. And then I started saying my ABCs in French, which I also still remember. Isn't it just... I was like, I don't think I've had to, like, pull this information out in 15 years, but sorry, I can I, just rattle it all off. I took three years of French. They have a different alphabet? Oh, I, not a different alphabet, but, like, we would learn, like, the print, like, instead of ABC, it's A, B, C, D, U, F, J. Like, doing it in, like, the French, okay. French pronunciation. I don't know if it actually counts as, like, the French alphabet, but we learned it. All right. Well, it's going to be a bit of a bummer in a second. Uh, Wilhelm died of an unspecified infection in 1859. This is, in fact, a bummer. Yeah. And despite being completely crushed and forced into reclusion by grief, Jacob continued working on the dictionary. He didn't make it past the letter F, specifically the word frucht or fruit, before he died in 1863. Oh. Grimm's Fairy Tales was in its seventh edition by that point. The graves of the brothers are in the altar St. Matthaus Kirchhoff in Berlin. Gonna add that to the list of places to visit? Yeah. 
So the work of the brothers Grimm influenced other story collectors, like I mentioned before, both inspiring them both to collect tales and leading them to similarly believe, in a spirit of romantic nationalism, that fairy tales of a country were particularly representative of it, which... Yeah, I don't so, disagree with that. Yeah. Um, celebrated English poet W.H. Auden praised the collection during World War II as one of the founding works of Western culture, and, and I'm sorry, Adolf Hitler praised them so strongly that the allies of World War II warned against reading them, as Hitler thought they were folkish tales so- showing children with sound racial instincts seeking racially pure marriage partners. <clears throat> I mean, that's just your opinion, dude. They, yeah. <laughs> No, these stories depict white people like I marrying can, white people. No. Yeah, I can I can see how, just given how, like, nationalistic that movement was, in I'm racist too, but also, like, very much centered on this idea of Germany as, like, a nation. Why that would, A, appeal to him in the first place, and B, why he then would also in, have his own interpretation. I mean, Hitler also completely ruined Wagner, so. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, Cinderella... Uh, showed the heroine as, quote, racially pure, and the stepmother as a, quote, alien, and the prince with an unspoiled instinct to be able to distinguish between the two. <sighs> yeah, fine, sure. Writers who have written about the Holocaust have combined the tales with their memoirs in a wonderfully uplifting ending to the story about two big nerd brothers that I somehow managed to end with the Holocaust. <laughs> God, we need to stop doing that. Uh, Is so- Prince Philip in this one? <laughs> No, but um, in conclusion, the stories were a huge influence on a lot of things and continue to be. So this is a biography episode, so I'm not going to get into it. But imagine what Pretty Woman would be if Cinderella didn't exist. Mm, Very true. Um, All right. We're going to play a game so we actually don't end on the Holocaust. Yay! Uh, So we're going to do three rounds of a game I like to call Two Actual Titles and a Lie. (laughs) Yes. So you have to pick which one you think is the fake title. Okay. All right, so our first one. A, the goose girl. A, the girl without hands. Or, wow, Emily. And to say that, you know yep. that's the same letter, right? Yep. A, the goose girl. Two, the girl without hands. What? C, the girl in the gnome. I See, now I couldn't even listen to those titles because I got distracted by the two. Okay, I was making a Home Alone <laughs> joke. <laughs> Is it the goose girl, the girl without hands, or the girl in the gnome? Which one is fake? The goose girl. The goose girl is real. Ah. The girl in the gnome is the fake one. Ah. The goose girl is about a girl who gets turned into a goose by her maid, and the girl without hands is about, yeah. (laughs) A girl without hands, I imagine? Yes. All right. See, that one sounded so, like, for lack of a better word, grim, that I knew it had to be real. (laughs) All right. Round two. Is it... The singing bone, the horse master's toad, or the mouse, the bird, and the sausage. They're all so good. I'm going to guess the mouse, the bird, and the sausage? Incorrect. That's real. The fake one ah. is the horse master's toad. <laughs> See, again, I was like, it's just it's just too good to be fake. But uh, I guess this, it was too good to be true. The singing bone is about a murder most foul and an amateur musician. The mouse, the bird, and the sausage is about a mouse in the water delivery profession. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> A bird who gathers wood and what I believe is a sentient sausage. (laughs) All right. So you are zero for two right now. I am so bad at this game. All right. And this one's actually the hardest one. Is it Hans goes to market, (laughs) clever Hans, or Hans in luck? Hans goes to market. 
That's correct. <laughs> Hans did a lot of stuff, but he didn't go to the market. We read Clever Hans at one point, didn't we? Uh, I, I mentioned it in the last one because yeah. I was going to do a Hans series because it comes up a lot. Uh, Hans yeah. is one of the six names that they had. Yep. Although um, Hans Goes to Market would be a great new, great name for a fairy tale. On a related note, you know, in the Three Little Piggies, or the mm-hmm. Five Little Piggies thing, the This Little Piggy that oh, thing. Oh, Went to Market, This Little Piggy, yeah. Yeah, I always thought it meant the little piggy was going uh, food shopping, but it did in fact mean that he was going to be sold at the market. <laughs> I choose to believe otherwise. But yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong, but... Uh, I was like, oh yeah, this little piggy's gonna go get some some groceries. No, that little piggy was groceries. <laughs> and pig murder is where we're going to end this episode. Fair. Um, yeah, so that's the Brothers Grimm, two very real people. Well, that's some that's such great background information now for all the other fairy tale theaters in that await us in the future. Yeah, um, and just know that I'm probably reading one of the more original versions before they uh, cleaned it up a little bit. <laughs> Before they made it kid-friendly. Yeah, I think it's this one hits somewhere in the middle because there are a lot of step-parents in the version that I have, but also, um, did Rapunzel have kids in the version that we read? I'm almost sure she did. Okay. I remember watching, like, a fairy tale theater TV show in the 90s that had that element, because I know that the prince lost his eyes, and, like, I definitely remember that, so. Oh, yeah. That would be appropriately traumatizing. Um, anyway, so, um... If you understand Grimm's Law of Linguistics, please email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Um, also, you can find us on Instagram or uh, Twitter at afternoonified, uh, getafternoonified.com. Uh, you can also send us an email from there. You can also listen to past episodes. You can donate. You can find merch. Um, we're coming up on what I believe is close to a deadline for getting merch in time for the holidays, especially with uh, supply chain delays and the USPS stuff. So if you're going to get people presents, now is, I mean, I guess probably by the time, nope, because we're posting this in like three days. Yeah, now is your time. (laughs) Uh, So get on that now. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) All right, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. Remember to rate, subscribe, review, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Do that and we'll love you even more. Okay, bye. I'm going to need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad. That's a five. I got a ten. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie. Jimmy's going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah. Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. Releases every other Friday here on So Below Media. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.